Hello, I'm Frances Butt, and this is Emotipod, a series of conversations with different kinds of artists and creatives about what they do and how they see it benefiting them and other people emotionally, because the arts are so important for our emotional health. With a series like this, it was almost inevitable that at some point there'd be a great guest whose work can't be put into one single box or under one single label. Victoria Firth is such an artist. She creates funny, entertaining, courageous one-woman shows that address some of the hugely emotive and challenging areas of life, talking to the audience directly and using mixtures of comedy, clowning and performance art. She also uses her experience and wisdom to support other artists as well. But she can explain it all better than I ever could, so here we go. Uh, You may occasionally hear Victoria's dog Blythe playing in the background. He's very well behaved. Victoria, hello. It is lovely to see you and thank you so much for getting in touch about talking about your performing work. Thanks for having me. Have you always been a bit of a performer? Is it always something you wanted to do? I haven't always been one, but it is always something that I wanted to do. So I remember as far ago as being in the dinner queue at primary school and somebody coming down the dinner queue asking us what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I can't remember what I answered, um, but in my secret mind, I was like, I want to be an actor, which is Mm -hmm. the only kind of performing that I would have understood at the time. I guess. Yeah. So yeah, I so it was always something I I wanted to do, but I've I've um, arrived at it by a bit of a circuitous kind of route. Yeah. What was that route? Well, um, I think I wasn't really confident enough to say I wanted to be an actor when I was younger, and um, so I sort of I was a bit introverted, and I kind of followed the school route of doing the academic subjects that you're best at. Yeah. And so I think when I got to you know, and you have like those awful careers advice meetings. And I, yes. I think that, was bit, that was the first time I said to somebody, oh, actually, I, I don't really want to go to college or university. I'd like to go to drama school. And the careers advisor like la- laughed in my face. Oh, nice. <laughs> so it was awful. So, yeah. So I went away to university doing a subject that I, that, you know, that was not necessarily a passion. Mm. And um, and then it was only kind of doing extracurricular things that I started to get involved in the theatre. And so, I, yeah, I guess I'm a bit of a late developer. And uh, I have had most of my career really as a kind of arts manager, for want of a better phrase. Okay. So I've sort of come back to the life performance aspect of it now. So I have these phrases in the arts about being like an emerging artist. And I think oh. I've been I've been trying to emerge. I think it's probably about my third go at emerging. Um, but yeah, it is it is the main focus of what I do now. Yeah, I remember somebody saying something to me once about taking twenty years working towards becoming an overnight sensation, something like that. You know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but did you think um, all the work in the other side of working in theatre or the management side of things is helping you with just running the business side of what you do as well, just making things happen. Yeah, definitely. So at the moment I self-produce a lot of my performance and, Mm. you know, it's helpful to have those skills 
It's mm. also really helpful to just have seen a lot of work. So that's one of the things that I always say to oh. students of like performing arts or drama when they say, you know, what can help their career. It's always like just see as much work as you can. Brilliant. Because you learn a lot about the craft, but also about your taste and mm you know, ideas, um, it, it's, and also just making relationships with companies. So um, it's really helpful in that regard in that I've just seen so many shows because Excellent. my job where I've been a programmer really for theatres where I've been able to choose the artistic programme for, for venues. Yes, excellent, excellent. And you said earlier on that you're, you are an introvert, but you're a very courageous performer. I mean, what brought you to being the kind of performer you do, performance you do now, which is... You really grapple with life's realities, um, difficult subjects. I mean, you use comedy and, and we'll talk about that. But um, how did you come to do this brave stuff you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's been it's been um, a long journey. I mean, part of the reason I stopped and went the more arts administration route in my 20s was because mm. I used to suffer from chronic stage fright. Ah. Yeah, and I was really uh, affected by it. Mm. But I think as I've got older, I've both got more balance in my life and also got more conviction of this is something I really want to do so let's yeah. make it happen it's it otherwise the the sort of lost dream is almost more of a problem than the doing of it um, yeah and if I'm going to do it then I want to do things that are meaningful to me and other people and yeah so doing things that are at the edge of my comfort zone is where I think it has more most value yeah brilliant well you are uh, doing that for sure and um can we talk a little bit about the kind of things that you deal with in your performance yes sure you deal with you deal with emotions in the subjects you deal with so you talk about what it is to be female what it is to be sexual what what it is to want children try to have children not get around to having children very important issues and also aging um we'll talk about that as well the butter piece yeah so how do your explorations help you personally? Are you using them as a kind of cathartic process for yourself? No, I'm not actually. And You're I not? Okay. No, um, no, really not. I mean, when I made, um, so I have a one-woman show called How to Be Amazingly Happy, which... Yeah. Presumably that's an ironic title. It's an yeah, ironic yeah, title, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it looks at lots of connected themes, but it, it, at its core it's about... Um, involuntary childlessness right and I was on a course actually about devising theatre where we had to um, write down lists of things that were on our minds and things that were important to us as a way of choosing the material for a show that we might make Mm. and what came out for me was this this subject about not having kids and what does that mean for the rest of your life and also wanting to have more fun and everybody in the group was like, yes, we want to hear more about that. That's the best idea you've got for a show. Oh. And I was like, oh, that's the one that I just can't make. <laughs> right. It just feels too vulnerable and too big. And I yeah. don't want to make something that's for my catharsis. That's not right. Right. So that's not my intention. Um, okay. What I try and do is, is if something's important to me or if I'm passionate about it, mm is I tend to sort of make a sketch of it and show it to someone else or some other people and go, does this speak to you? Yes. Okay. And then I think if it's if I know that it speaks to other people, then I think there's enough rationale for me to make it. Yeah. And okay. it's not going to be, it's not just about me, like doing my own process. You know, there's 
there's a different kind of artistic merit to it you know it's in, okay it's in service to an artwork in a kind yes. of different way yeah that's not to say that I don't benefit from the process of doing it so for how to be amazingly happy I was very private about my experience of trying to make a family and, and being unsuccessful in a biological way and yeah. you know there was a lot of I guess sense of failure attached to that and shame um, but through doing a, a performance about it, you know, I, I did become more open and now I do quite a lot of public speaking on that. Oh. And so, you know, that shifted something for me emotionally by doing it, even though that wasn't my intention. It, it, I, I benefited greatly from it. Mm. I mean, it really is proof of the power of making art out of something or an issue or a subject or a story that helps us to process the emotions involved with that issue. And you're dealing with love and loss and grief and acceptance and and joy as well in that story and in that issue and you use comedy uh, which is a brilliant way to deal with difficult things it's obviously it's a good device I think I was thinking a bit on the basis of what you sent me about I felt like I was thinking about my work and it all sounded like really hardcore maybe a bit depressing (laughs) and I do use humor a lot and I think there's a for me there's a relationship between those two so if you tackle, I mean, even I don't even really like the word tackle, but if if you, if when I've made in How to Be Amazing Happy, some parts of the show are funny and some parts of the show offer something different. Yeah. And the more the audience laugh, the more, the deeper I can go with the other parts. Right. It's like, it's like a seesaw. Oh, but you're judging that on the spot, are you? Yeah, on the day. Ah, yes. right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think because uh, because the show is part improvised, and oh, so yeah, okay, if, gotcha. people, if people are really happy and buoyant, and it you go for the jugular. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, that sounds that sounds very hard. No, 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 it's not flippant. But it's more about there's more opportunity for light and shade. Mm. Whereas if everything's on a level, or if the audience is more reserved, then mm. there's a different gentleness to it, or a different shade. Yes. Yeah. So so I think. So I, I like working with both for that reason. And also um, it also means people can appreciate things or take away from things what they want to. So yeah. if people come to see a show which they know has got emotional content, yeah. they, they're coming because they want catharsis. Yes. Then they can go into that. And if people come because they've been dragged by a friend and that's not or they're not ready to go there or it doesn't resonate with them so much then there's other things that they can enjoy and they can lean into the lighter moments. Yeah. So I think it gives the opportunity for audiences to sort of calibrate their own emotional experience to a degree. Yes, yes, yes. But the way you present in, in, in advance, you, you know, you'll have a picture of you with an egg in your mouth with a smile on it. And so that you, there's going to be comedy. That's that's in the, it's implied in the promotional stuff and yeah, that's how you're presenting it. And, and our comedy is how we take our darkness, isn't it? It's like, you know, stand-up comedians are often deeply dark mm. and we laugh we laugh because why not and also yeah. it, help, it helps to swallow it doesn't it and definitely I feel braver as a performer when I can feel the audience response whatever it is whatever whatever emotion comes back from the audience or whatever mm. energy is in the room it really helps yeah. me to be braver or be bold it's like we're going on a journey together in fact in fact it's been quite difficult um not difficult but um, it was an adjustment for me doing performances online. Yes, um, where you do because you don't get the immediate feedback, mm. and and I'm very much about that live moment with the audience, mm. and also um, the impact of the audience wearing masks 
Oh, right. Because I tend to perform in quite small spaces and we're quite close up and I'm talking to the audience. But when people are wearing masks, you you don't get so much feedback from their their faces. And um, yeah, I've had to adjust slightly because of that. Oh, yes. That's a huge thing. Yes, it's been really noticeable on recorded radio shows and very difficult. I can imagine. Yeah, that's one of the things that prompted this whole series, that loss of live performance Mm. with the pandemic. It just became so clear how critically important that connection between performers and audience or to be an audience as well as to be a performer is. It's just we need that stuff. Mm. So, again, thank you for doing it, for doing what you do, because we need you. Yes. Well, I I think it's good for us to express things, you know, that's very much where my work's coming from. And I think because we get trapped in our civilised nature, we Mm. only like allow ourselves a very narrow range of emotions and and a narrow range of things that we're allowed to talk about. Yeah. Where can we put that stuff? Yeah. It creates space, I think, for us to feel more, think about more and be more multidimensional. Yeah. What art is for. And clowning. Did you train in clowning? I've done some uh, training in theatre clown with an artist called Angela De Castro. And mm-hmm. that was a real turning point for me, actually, in terms of what I was speaking about earlier, like stage fright. Mm. Because the clown loves being on stage. You know, they're just a playful innocent. And, you know, my clowning teacher said to me, you know, it's it's you. It's, it's the performer you that is the person who's concerned about being funny enough or being entertaining enough or wanting to get off the stage because you're panicking or nervous the clown will stay there all day they're like yes everybody's looking at me this is great great and so being able to tap into the the joy of it and the live moment with the audience has made a, a real difference I think to me coming into my own as a performer so the clown element there's a kind of a persona there you can step into which is taking the the edge off your vulnerability to some degree would you say I think it's um I think it's probably about being more vulnerable actually. Okay. Yeah, I think the more and the more comfortable I think you are in your own skin on stage mm. and being looked at, mm. then the more sort of authentic is the offer that you give to the audience. And a lot of the work that I make is direct address in that I'm not playing a character, I'm being me and I'm talking to the audience, you know, face to face. You know, there's no fourth wall or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, so you're not me. hiding behind a character. You are you. That's that is again, it's incredibly courageous. And you also talk about using performance art. Now, how would you describe or define performance art? Because some people wouldn't know what that would mean, really, um, including me, possibly. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you you may have put me on the spot there because oh, I'm not okay. sure how I define it. I guess with um, so my, my passion was theatre, and, and theatre quite often, well, text based theatre quite often has a narrative. Mm. Um, performance art, I suppose, I think of it more as more conceptual. So there might be something that you want to illustrate or something that, you you know, or a provocation that you want to offer, but there's usually not a narrative. There's usually, I would say, more space in it for the audience to respond to their experience of it. You know, it tends to have a a visceral quality, perhaps. Mm. So, yeah, and, and it tends to have quite strong visual characteristics, I guess, or physical characteristics. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's my best <laughs> No, that was really good. That was really good. Um, so you're doing a combination of these things in really with your shows. There's some comedy, there's narrative, there's clowning elements and there's performance art elements. 
Yeah, I'm increasingly interested in the intersection of forms. So I've made theatre, but it's been sort of contemporary theatre where I've used montages of comedy and sketches and then physical choreography and, you know, visual moments. And I'm interested in in live or performance art and I'm interested in cabaret and I'm, you know, so I think there's something good about how things fit together because I want the audience to see and feel something that they recognize. Yeah. Then they're on the journey with you. But then I think it's also quite nice to be surprising or to, you know, have an element of peril or provocation. Mm. Um, But it's also really important to me that everything's really accessible and people enjoy it. So humor helps with that. So I like to sort of have a palette of all of those things. I'm interested in the moment about whether maybe I'm not a theatre maker. Maybe I'm kind of a multidisciplinary artist. Mm. So you're kind of going across a few genres, doing multiple things at once. And so there isn't easily categorizable. Yeah. But you are doing a one-person show. And I did want to talk about that because carrying a whole show for a whole audience, that's quite an ask. And do you try? So you said you when you first start your project, you're you'll have an idea like the one you had, which was very personal, then you'll sound it out with some other people. And if they mm-hmm. respond, then you're, you're building on that and you're building on that. And mm-hmm. is that how you develop your shows towards a whole a whole performance, a whole piece? Yes, I guess so. I mean, I've mainly made work that's autobiographical. Mm. Um, so that sort of testing with the people early on is really important to make sure that, it, you know, it's really, it's relatable. And I think what I mean by becoming a, a multidisciplinary Multi, I, see, I can't even say it, so I'm obviously not qualified to be it yet. But I think I like I don't have like a really formal training in one particular craft, and I always saw that as a weakness. Ooh. But now I think the fact that um, I'm interested in lots of things is more mm. of a strength. So it's more about what do I want to say, yeah. and then what's the right medium to say it. And if it's a medium that I'm not familiar with, how can I learn? Yeah. So it's a, yeah, it's a bit of an iterative process of sitting with an idea, talking to other people about it, thinking about what the form is, learning about that. And, I, you know, I still feel very young as an artist in a way, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting more sense of myself, but it, it's still early days. And I like saying that because sometimes people think, so I'm just about, I'll be 50 next year. Mm. Um, but some people feel like, you know, it, it, it can be too late to start or to change. And that's that's not been my experience. I feel like I'm just coming into myself. Fantastic. Now, really. Oh, I'm delighted to hear you say that. I cheer <laughs> you. I champion you. I'm delighted about that. I'm being 58 because in my 40s, I was having a panic attack about I'm running out of time, running out of time to be a singer. to be a... And so sod that. Yeah, you're absolutely you're getting going. And that's wonderful to hear. It's wonderful for anyone to hear. Um, can we talk about the butter piece? Yes. It's a piece you did about female sexuality and shame. Oh, shame. We could talk about shame for a few years, couldn't we? Uh, But first of all, why did you use the the word butter? Why the butter piece? Um, Because that is the the only materials in the piece is me and butter. Oh, okay. And nothing else, folks. It's nudity. It's a nude. You are naked. Yes, I am naked. Yeah, okay. And my God, the vulnerability. I can't begin to imagine, Victoria. I'm so impressed um how how is it it's not it's it I mean it is and it isn't you know it, it is vulnerable in some ways but in some ways it's also quite powerful yeah and um 
it's a bit like when I I haven't really done stand up comedy, but I've done some cabaret that is based around comedic work mm. and people say is that frightening but it, it actually isn't that also is is quite powerful because I think when you're doing something that's so direct with an audience mm. yeah it, it's kind of quite empowering and in some ways the audience is has a vulnerability as well in relation to it in, you know in relation to you know looking at it or being with you in that kind of state yeah, it's uh, an amazing thing to do a really an amazing thing to do so you did it first in 2011 yeah, and then you've just done it again in 2021. So, how what was different ten years on revisit, revisiting that piece? Well, I guess I was interested in you know making a performance work with my body. My body's changed a lot in ten years, mm. and the things that I was thinking about my body and the kinds of things my body had experienced, and uh, my sexuality mm. and my sexualness mm. then. And I was just about to be 40 when I made right. it. And I'm just about to be 50. And right. sort of taking stock in the same way about those things um, is interesting in itself. But then there's the, the the added dimension of the change between the two, you know, so how I've aged or how people perceive artists doing actions like that at different ages. Yeah. And then also how society's changed, I guess. You know, there was something about reclaiming how the body's presented oh my god yes I guess in terms of making the piece yeah. and going the way that women want to display themselves how they're displayed in the media what agency yeah. I have over my own body you know where is that at now yeah compared to 10 years ago um, and it's my intention to make that piece again in another 10 years just before I'm 60 so Fantastic. It, it's almost being like a little time capsule of yeah uh, of embodiment yeah is it recorded, incidentally, anywhere? Uh, I do have the footage, mm. but I don't. It's not available publicly, and that's for different reasons. Actually, when I when I made it in my forties, I was really anxious about putting pictures or video of myself out naked because I'm like, oh, what will people think? And you know, what will this? How will this affect other things in my career? Or what if I change and don't like it in the future? Yeah, actually, I've been much more confident this time with putting out selected images, um, which. I think shows my mature myself maturing a bit as an artist because I think yeah I'm more confident that the quality of the work justifies it. Fantastic. And I've t- been able to invest in it in a way that I could take care of that better. Yeah. But I don't put I haven't really shared the video for different reasons. That's more because when you're live in a space with an audience, we're in it together. Yeah. So I'm I'm offering something, but the audience is also offering something by being there. And we're having that experience at the same time in relationship. It's not a voyeur thing through a screen. Exactly. Yeah, I get it. yeah. If somebody watches it later, there's not the same risk for them as there is live or the same exchange. And particularly with things where you're looking at the gaze on the body, then obviously the the voyeurism it's a different transaction when then when it's a medium when people can do it at their own disposal in terms of at a time when I when I choose and I have that agency so yeah yeah, so it's very much a live piece although what I've tried to do to be able to extend the conversations about it is to write a lot around it and to encourage artists to write around yes you wrote I love the preparation you wrote about doing for this performance and I love it so much. I'll put it and I'll put the link to it in the text for this episode. It was so great. You. Um, you also run self-care workshops for theatre makers and performers. Yep. And I'd love to talk more about that with you in future. Uh-huh. Okay. If you're up for it. I am. But how long, how long have you been doing those things? They're running workshops. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to do to support other artists 
Um, only quite recently, really. It was something that I developed during the pandemic. So there was a period where it was hard to do any live performances. Mm. And I did some uh, digital gigs. But I also wanted to think about what I could offer that was more workshop based online. And that idea of not being specialist enough at anything was getting in my way. So I was trying to think, you know, where where's my niche or where do I feel like, you know, I've got something to offer. And care is really important to me. It's a theme that goes through my work. Mm. And also I've done sort of mentoring, I guess, for people in arts management capacity before. And because it's a vocation, it's really easy to sort of over extend yourself or to work with too little resources and to subsidize yourself really with your own passion. But increasingly a lot of artists who are making the kind of work I make sort of contemporary performance are using autobiographical material or Mm. sometimes working from their own trauma. And so, you know, it's quite high stakes personally and sort of there is, there's not enough, but there is a certain amount of work in the sector about how do we take care of participants? Like if we're doing arts work in the community and we're working with people who are vulnerable, who've got traumatic experiences, how do we take care of them? But for me, there's also something about how does the artist take care of themselves and how's that embedded in their process? So I decided that that's something that I wanted to hold a space for with other artists. Fantastic. And you were also caring for your mum in 2020 who who died sadly last year yes um and i will also share your poem about that because it's incredible and thank you for writing it Mm. amazing yeah so care is running through your work which is um, wonderful and uh clearly you're an empathic courageous woman (laughs) and um and i thank you thank you for what you're doing so what are Mm. you going to be up to finally in 2022 well it depends a bit what happens with the world oh yeah that small thing yeah (laughs) that small thing yeah so I'm going to be putting a collection of writing out at the beginning of the year which is to do with the butter piece which is my writings on it but also reflections on it by five other artists who work either with the body in different mediums or uh with the body as a theme Ah. So I'm really I'm really excited about that actually. Yeah, sounds great. And yeah. then I'd like to make my next piece for theatre, which is the working title is Batty. <laughs> and it's a, about a woman who thinks that she might be turning into a witch. And what it's looking at really is embracing our wild side, really. And oh uh, yes, please. Lovely. And how sometimes wildness and transgression gets confused with madness, often, you know, historically in literature and and yeah. Yeah, we're, those moments where we don't fit the norm or we want to be bigger um, or we feel part of something bigger. Mm, um, mm. And it speaks a lot to our connection with our sort of reciprocal nature, with nature. Yes. Um, so I, I'm really hoping to make that. And that will be my first piece. It's not a one-person performance. If I can get it off the ground, it will have live music in it as well with a musician. Oh, lovely, lovely. So that would be great. And then my long-term project is to is maybe I still need to make get past the stage where I'm sure it's not just about my own catharsis. <laughs> but I think maybe in 2025, because that would be a big enough gap, I would like to make something about either about my own experiences of being an end-of-life carer or something about carers more generally on the basis of research. 
I think that might be something that's going to be installation based or choreographic even. Wow. So it gives it gives me like three, three or four years to get fit enough to be able to actually deliver it. <laughs> yeah, that needs some run up. Perfect. Victoria, thank you so much. You're welcome. Listening back over our conversation, there were so many inspiring themes to recap. Firstly, what an excellent example of lifelong development, becoming a performer later in life. And it was tremendous to listen to the benefits of having spent time building other valuable skills. In Victoria's case, as an arts administrator and curator of other people's shows. And of course, the value of seeing lots of other people's work learning from it, and developing personal taste. Then there was the journey from being someone who suffered greatly from stage fright to being someone who's able to perform alone, naked, in front of an audience. That is some trajectory. And that leads on to the subject of courage. And I'm sure you can see why I used the word in the title. Not just the naked performances either. Tackling issues that can be deeply painful takes tremendous courage. Victoria talked fascinatingly about her use of humour, particularly being able to gauge how far to push the emotionally challenging material by working in tune with the audience's responses. For me, at least, that was the clearest depiction of the value of improvisation that I've ever heard. And of course, there's maturity in being able to read an audience like that. And that was another theme, the maturing of an artist through experience, understanding and confidence in their decision making. I suspect I may be inviting Victoria back to talk more about some of these things. But in the meantime, I've put the links we talked about, her writing about her preparation for the butter piece and also in her incredibly moving poem about end of life care in the text for this episode. And you can find those pieces and more besides on her website, victoriafirth.co.uk. So for now, and until next time, enjoy keeping all your senses open and alive to whatever art makes your life better.